Hey everyone, welcome to the 90th episode of the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. Each week right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take you on a trip down memory lane back 50 years and report out all the hockey news exactly as it was written by some of the greatest sports writers of all time. In this episode, we're looking at July 12th to July 18th, 1971. Now you've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports and how payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. Making a lineup in DraftKings adds excitement to every night and it's really, really simple to do. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means more uh, a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users across all sports all over the world. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports. There's, there's no better time to get in right now on all the actions. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using the code THPN. That's THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions do apply and see DraftKings.com for all the details. And we don't want you to forget in addition to DraftKings, we have a couple of other sponsors for this podcast as well. Newspapers.com is the world's largest online newspaper archive and without them we couldn't do most of the research that we managed to uh, carry on. And we are sponsored by the Breakwall Brewing Company in beautiful downtown Port Colborne, Ontario. If you ever get down to the Niagara region, visit Port Colborne. Let me know and we'll get together for a beer and a burger at the Breakwall. If you like what we do here every week, uh, please visit uh, patreon.com slash hockey50years to subscribe to this podcast. What a subscription gets you is early access to each week's episode plus some access to some very special content that only the Patreon describers uh, get access to. Uh, we do some special features. Some of the recent ones we've done is on how Scotty Bowman left the St. Louis Blues, ended up with Montreal, and we took a very deep dive into the circumstances surrounding the death of Terry Sawchuk. That's patreon.com slash hockey50years to subscribe. So at this point in 1971, we're in the dead of summer, no doubt about that, and hockey really wasn't on the minds of most of the sports editors and the newspapers around Canada and the United States. But there were some news tidbits trickling through, and we'll get to uh, some quick hits before we get into some uh, a little more detailed subject to start off this week. The Minnesota North Stars surprised a few people starting the week off by signing former University of Minnesota hockey star Gary Gambucci to a three-year, $100,000 contract. That's roughly $33,000 a year in 1971-72. That's a pretty good uh, pretty good salary for a 
young player who never played in the NHL. Gary had only been acquired from the Montreal Canadiens organization several weeks previously, but the North Stars convinced him that playing in the NHL, playing for money, might be a, a more profitable venture than playing for the American Olympic team. We had some interesting news out of all places, uh, Miami, Florida this week, where it was announced that a huge business sports complex featuring a major league size hockey arena was being planned for Northwest Miami, Florida. It's a builder's hope that they would be able to attract a National Hockey League franchise, but there were others in Miami that were saying that this new World Hockey Association was possibly going to be a... Uh, a team that would be placed in this arena if it does get built that is the international hockey league uh, announced some changes this week as well now the ihl was kind of a uh, they were classed as an amateur league at this time but they really for all intents and purposes were professional players got paid and players what they did is often they found you other jobs in the cities in which uh, the ihl teams uh played in well the league announced this week that it was going to be divided into two divisions with the re-entry of columbus into the league which brings a number of teams in the ihl to eight the southern division would include dayton columbus des moines and fort wayne while in the north they will have port huron muskegon flint and Toledo. Now the top three teams in each division would compete for the playoffs at the end of the season. League officials at their meeting, which was held in Toledo, Ohio, relaxed the rule on wearing helmets and face masks this year. That particular protective gear will now be optional to all players. Last year the IHL had made helmets mandatory. Players didn't like it too much. If you've been following us along the last few weeks, you know we've been talking about the financial mess that the National Hockey League Vancouver Canucks found themselves in. We keep looking for news. This week, there wasn't really a lot coming out. Uh, what we did learn from Vancouver was that there would be no change in the directorate of the, of the Canucks for at least a little while here early in the summer. There was a director's meeting scheduled for Tuesday of this week back in 71, and some changes were expected to be made to the directors, but that meeting was postponed way ahead until mid-August, and that was from an unnamed spokesperson for the Canucks. The person said, we couldn't get everybody together. Everybody's just all over the place. Meanwhile, general manager of the Canucks, Bud Poyle, had been on a fishing trip after the NHL meetings in Montreal, but he said he would be soon meeting with Alan Eagleson to open up negotiations for next season's contracts for the three or four players that Eagleson represents on the Canucks, two of the more prominent ones being Dale Talon and Rosaire Paymont. A young Montreal Canadian star has dumped himself into some hot water back in his hometown of Niagara Falls, Ontario. Yeah, I do remember this taking place. Phil Roberto, 22-year-old forward with the Habs, has been charged by Niagara Falls police with creating a disturbance by shouting and swearing, and he was also charged with assaulting a police officer. Police said the charges were laid after there was a disturbance 
at Phil's parents' home in Niagara Falls. He was released on a promise to appear in court within the next couple weeks. California Seals new general manager Gary Young was busy signing players. He's going to have some other things to worry about shortly. You'll see in the next few weeks. But this week he signed three players. They were defenseman Ron Stackhouse, who played for the Seals last year, and newcomers Walter McKechnie and Joey Johnson. McKechnie and Johnson, you may remember just a few weeks ago, were acquired from the Minnesota North Stars in the trade that sent center Dennis Hextall, the Stars' leading scorer last year, out to Minnesota. This week was a big week in Banff, Alberta. Big hockey week, as a matter of fact, which people uh, really wouldn't associate in July with. But 17, at least 17 players were slated to be in Banff this week for the third annual Summer Stars hockey game. Some of the players that were supposed to show up and did were the Bruins' Bobby Orr, and uh, they were supposed to play the Calgary Stampeder Hockey Club. Uh, this game is organized every year by New York Rangers forward Glenn Sather. Now, Glenn Sather, a lot of people don't know this, but 50 years later we do. At that time, Glenn was buying up property in Banff like crazy, and he became the owner of a large part of that very affluent resort town as the years went on. This was the start of all that. At this time, Glenn was uh, he was running a couple hockey schools in the Banff area for district youngsters, and he lined up fellow New York Ranger players Jimmy Nielsen, Dave Ballone, and Bruce McGregor. A few other players coming in for the Kings was Bill Cowboy fled an Alberta native and goalie Jack Norris along with forward Ross Lonsbury. The Penguins were sending along veteran goalie Les Vinkley, another veteran uh, defenseman Bob Wojtowicz, as long as uh, Alberta native Val Fontaine and Brian Hextall Jr. The Sabres were even contributing a few players, Skip Craig, Ron Anderson, Dennis Hextall, who we just mentioned in our last story, uh, will be coming along. And they're hoping that uh, some other players expected to show up were Larry Hale, Doug Berry, and Bob Falkenberg. Well, the game was played on Saturday night, and a good time was had by all. The Calgary Stampeders surged from behind with four unanswered goals in the third period to earn a four-all tie with the team that was uh, mostly NHL players. There was a standing room only crowd at the Banff Recreation Center and they saw the players dominate the first two periods of play but then they withered or chose not to uh, pour it on in the final period and you must say that the Stampeders were very determined to make a good showing in this game, at least a better showing than they did in the first 40 minutes. Those who were on hand said that the game was surprisingly lively and actually a little scrappy for this kind of game at this time of year. Boston's Bobby Orr scored the opening goal of the game at 13.03 of the first period, assisted by Sather and Bruce McGregor. And you got to wonder about Bobby Orr playing in a game like this. What One of the real roots of his knee injuries was an injury he received during his right after his rookie season in a game like this out in Winnipeg. Now, Orr engineered that opening play. Uh, he brought the puck over the Calgary blue line, dumped it in in front of Stampeders goalie Russ Gillow, another former pro. After a brief scamble, it came out of the uh, scrum in front of the net, 
Orr was cruising by and he snapped the shot past Gillo, who probably still hasn't seen it. The NHLers then got a couple of more goals from Dave Ballone within 14 seconds, and that gave him a 3-0 lead. The Stampeders made a determined rally in the last minute of the first period, but they were unable to get far against uh, the NHL players, who just know how to play defense a little bit better. Russ Gillo was really a star for the Stampeders, as he made a number of five saves, especially early in the second period when they could have put this one out of reach, but Russ Gillow did not let them do that. The Stampeders did finally completely roar to life in the third period where they dominated and they were sparked by a couple of goals by another former pro, former California SEAL uh, center, Ron Houston. And then at 12.29 of the third, Bob Bartlett scored a third Calgary marker on a pass from Tony Coleman. And that was what got the uh, Stampeders close enough before Bartlett and Gary McQuaid set up a goal by Coleman again and the finalists Calgary for the NHL players for as well. Organized by Glenn Sather, as we said, the operator of the series, Sather said the game was sponsored by the Banff Rams and the Banff Minor Hockey Association and they shared in the most considerable proceeds on the night. Now here's a couple of stories that have to grab the attention of Toronto Maple Leaf fans. Earlier in the week, the Leafs announced a $1 across the board hike in ticket prices. You know who that's going to be passed on to. Next we learn on top of that that the fans are going to have to pay taxes on the tickets as well. The uh, season's boost is 50 cents a seat across the board. Red tickets, which were $6.50, would now cost $7. Blues would go to $6. Greens, $5. And the grays, $3. Now, the subscribers got the bad news this week when they received bills from the team for the nine uh, games and three exhibition matches scheduled for early week in the uh, 71-72 season. Harold Ballard, the executive vice president of the Gardens, recently charged with fraud by Toronto Police, said, we're caught in a squeeze. As a matter of fact, 50 cents won't even cover the increase in our costs. Pal Hal is probably figuring his lawyer's fees into some of those costs, we would think. Well, after this news came out, then there was some other, and this is kind of troubling news again, if you're a Maple Leaf fan. Stafford Smythe, president of Maple Leaf Gardens, confirmed that he and Harold Ballard were negotiating with John Bassett for the purchase of his shares in Maple Leaf Gardens Limited, which is the company that owns and runs the Maple Leafs. Smythe indicated that negotiations have been going on for some time, but the three were not close to any type of settlement at this point in time. Bassett is the former chairman of the board of Maple Leaf Gardens, but he is no longer a company officer, but he does remain the garden's largest single shareholder. He holds stock both as the Toronto Telegram and as Baton Broadcasting Limited. Together, however, Smythe and Ballard hold enough shares to actually control the company together. Bassett was co uh, contacted by the Toronto Globe and Mail, a rival to his Toronto Telegram paper, and he did not make any comment. All he would say is, I suppose anything's for sale if the price is right, but you're going to have to talk to my dad 
about that. That's actually John F. Bassett, son of the publisher of the uh, Telegram, who made that statement because John wouldn't contact at all. Bassett Sr. said, I don't know anything about this matter. Goodbye, and he hung up the phone. One thing that was uh, confirmed was that there has been no trading of shares on the Toronto stock market between Bassett, Ballard, and Smythe. But that is not all we would hear about this story on that particular day. I think it was Wednesday of the week. The uh, fine columnist for the Vancouver Sun, Jim Kearney, very plugged into things back east, had this item in his column on Saturday. He said, watch for Canada's biggest ever sports consolidation in Toronto. Publisher John Bassett already the biggest single stockholder, is quietly buying up all of Maple Leaf Garden shares he can. He wants to get control of the Maple Leafs, of Maple Leaf Gardens, and then, according to Jim Kearney, Bassett's plan was to merge the Hockey Leafs, the Football Argonauts, of which he is board chair and a major stockholder, and CFTO-TV, the Toronto flagship station of the CTV network, into a sports conglomerate unrivaled in Canada. Bassett had resigned last year as board chairman of the Leafs and the Gardens following the laying of charges against President Stafford Smythe and Executive Vice President Harold Ballard by the Federal Income Tax Department. Now, these have since been followed, as we've been reporting on here, by those recent fraud charges from the uh, Toronto Police. Now, while Bassett did get out of the executive, he held onto his stock, and if he gets control, he'll be the most powerful man in the history of Canadian professional sports, owning a football team, a hockey team, a TV station, and a 250,000 circulation paper, the Toronto Telegram. I remembered following these stories at the time 50 years ago, and I wondered who would be better to run my beloved Maple Leafs? I knew Smythe and Ballard were little better than carnival hucksters, scoundrels, most people called them. And they were, we could tell, less than honorable men. About that, I wasn't wrong. I didn't know a lot about Mr. Bassett, other than at any rate, he could not be the shyster that the other two had shown themselves to be. At this point, we didn't really know how bad things were going to get for John Bassett and the Toronto Telegram. But that story would play out as the summer wore on. Stay tuned. Our next story is not directly related to this Maple Leaf situation we just spoke about, but inevitably all this stuff somehow becomes intertwined. This is an editorial that appeared in the Toronto Telegram this week and it concerned uh, a new law, a bill before the Canadian Parliament that according to the editors of the telly would destroy the National Hockey League in Canada. Here's what the editorial had to say. The proposed sports legislation introduced in Parliament recently would be disastrous for the National Hockey League if passed in its present form. Conceivably, it could result in the disappearance of the three Canadian professional teams, Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. Consumer and Corporate Affairs Minister Ron Basford, sponsor of the bill, would be wise to have another careful look at it before proceeding. It's obvious Mr. Basford 
hasn't been very well advised as to the possible effects of this measure. Mr. Basford claims that legislation is aimed at undue restrictions placed upon an athlete's freedom. Insofar as pro football is concerned, this proposal doesn't have much real meaning. Besides the Canadian Football League, the two major United States football leagues, the NFL and the AFL, or if you want to call them the National and American Conferences, have similar contracts with option clauses. If a player's contract ends and he plays out his option, he's free to negotiate with any other professional football team. What this does, of course, is give some advantage to the teams with the biggest bankrolls. It enabled the Toronto Argonauts, for example, to obtain quarterback Greg Barton from the Detroit Lions after he'd played out his option with that NFL team. But a smaller city, say as such uh, Regina, uh, with limited funds, they probably couldn't afford to bring in a guy like Greg Barton to their team. The key point here is this. Pro football teams in the U.S. and Canada have the option clause in their contracts, even though Canadian and American clubs don't even play against each other. The situation's entirely different in the NHL. The proposed measure could result in the destruction over a period of time of the Maple Leafs, Canadians, and Canucks. Here's the reality of it. If the management of these three teams are prohibited under the new legislation from signing players to standard National Hockey League contracts, but the U.S. clubs are permitted to do so, it's perfectly obvious what's going to happen. The Canadian law would not be binding in, of course, the United States. Wealthier American teams would go after players such as Toronto's Davey Keon, for instance. The well-heeled American teams could urge Dave to play out his option with the promise of signing him to a contract far in excess of what he would be getting from the Cheesegates of Maple Leaf Gardens. This would make it very difficult for the Maple Leafs to negotiate with Davey. Now, what they don't take into account here is the tampering laws, which stipulate quite plainly you can't talk to a player while he's still under contract to another team. But it's still a possibility. There are ways of getting around the tampering laws. Everybody has seen that. The editorial goes on to say that it should be recalled that some years ago, James Norris, the owner of the Blackhawks, offered $1 million to the Maple Leafs for Frank Mahovlich. However, the offer was turned down. And if you know the story, that was more out of a drunken gathering at two in the morning in a in a hotel lounge than it was uh, an actual business meeting where player transactions usually are discussed. Well, this legislation would make it absolutely unnecessary for American owner to try and buy a player from any one of the Canadian teams. In fact, it would make it unnecessary for them to even negotiate a trade. Rather, all he'd have to do is persuade a player to play out his option and then switch from a Canadian to an American team. One thing I would hate about this, I loved hockey trades. I That was one of the things I scoured the papers for every day was any kind of player movement. And the telegram here says that with free agency, your trades would cease to exist. That's not what happened as time went on. But that's what they're talking about here in 1971. So the telegram says that protection now spelled out in a National Hockey League contract is eliminated without similar action being taken in the United States. Then Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver would be left completely defenseless before the predatory raids of the United States clubs. 
It's just that simple. Now you add to this, and they don't mention this, but you add to this a rival league that could come on, and what you're going to have, quite possibly, according to the Telegram, is chaos. The Telegram states, as they wind down the editorial, that they do believe an option clause in the NHL similar to that in the NFL and the American Football Leagues is very desirable, but it would have to apply to all the clubs, both in Canada and in the United States. There appears to be little sign of such action being taken by the NHL in the United States. It's inconceivable that Mr. Bassford wants to destroy the NHL in Canada, but his law, his brainchild, could quite certainly do that. Now, while we're uh, on the subject of the new league and player contracts, uh, I'm gonna, I was going to do this story for our Patreon subscribers, and then I thought, no, I'm going to open this up to everyone. Uh, as the World Hockey Association thing, as we called it, was starting to make some noises. We were looking for news anywhere we could find it, and we found it in some very, very strange places, as it turns out. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of reporting on the, this World Hockey Association. A lot of people were calling it the World Hockey Leagues. Uh, no one knew really knew a lot about it, but uh, the Fort Lauderdale News has a sports writer named Dave Heron, and he wrote quite an interesting story this week in 1971 about the proposed WHA. Dave writes, the author of a book protects it by copyright. The inventor of a gadget protects it by patenting it, getting a patent. But the organizer of a sports league, well, he's a little different. True, there are incorporation papers to be obtained and franchises to be established. These protect the interests of the new league, but what happens to the individual who started it? The Barracudas swallow him up, says Dennis Murphy, and Murphy sees himself in the ocean of professional sports as a minnow, but he churns up an occasional tidal wave now and then, and he's done it already in his life. It was he who conceived, helped organize, and probably saved from early extinction the American Basketball Association. Now, as a reward for his efforts, Murphy was shunted around the American Basketball Association as a troubleshooter until the announced merger with the NBA solved most of the young league's troubles. But when the troubles were gone, Murphy was too. Just because you organize and develop something doesn't mean anything in the end, Murphy said from Santa Ana, California, when he talked to, to Dave Heron. Dennis says, when the Barracudas, the big money men, move in, the small guys like me are going to be in trouble. They swallow you up. Oh, sure, they give a dinner in your honor and present you with a plaque and say thanks for everything. But then it's goodbye. Nobody remembers who was there when the going was rough at the beginning. All that comes to an end when the new guys, the big guys, the barracudas, move in. All that counts is who's sitting in those chairs now, fortunately for Dennis Murphy, he's a smart enough guy to not allow himself to be devoured in just one big gulp, even before the termination last spring of his association with the ABA, he was planning his next project 
That next project is a new major league of hockey named the World Hockey Association. Murphy and attorney Gary Davidson, the same man who helped them organize the American Basketball Association, have incorporated the new league. They expect competition to begin in 1972, and they anticipate a merger with the National Hockey League by 1976. Murphy said that when we organized the ABA, we thought it would take five years to force a merger with the NBA. Well, he said it took the the AFL seven years to make it, but being first, the new football uh, situation naturally had the most problems. Murphy said they felt they could cut two years from the AFL's timeline and wound up by reducing it by three. Dennis says our goal in the WHA is to obtain a merger in four years, but I wouldn't be surprised if we joined up with the NHL in three years if the NHL gets forced into a bidding war with us for their players. Murphy said he hoped that the WHA would have 10 or 12 teams when it opens play. He considers it essential to have teams in New York, Los Angeles, the Milwaukee area, and Miami. Dennis says there's all kinds of interest in new hockey franchises. Uh, He said that the boys have been contacted by representatives of at least 20 cities, including some not in the United States. Murphy wouldn't say where those cities are. It's obvious they're going to be in Canada. But he said that uh, the leadership, he and Davidson, were trying to hold down the publicity on the bidders for the teams so that they can do a thorough check on their financial situations. One of the mistakes that Murphy says they made in organizing the ABA was granting franchises to the wrong people in the wrong cities. Uh, Murphy says we made other mistakes too, but granting franchises to the wrong people was the very worst thing we did. Now, I won't go into all the details of how Murphy left the American Basketball Association, but we will tell you is that... uh, He had made up his mind that if he wasn't going to get the contract he wanted from the Floridians, the ABA team he ended up working for last, he had made up his mind he was going to contact Davidson and he was going to start a new hockey league. He said there's something exciting about establishing a new league. He said he would contact Gary again and start a hockey league in a minute, but this time they decided on a five-year contracts for themselves from the inception of the league to protect themselves after what happened with the ABA. Davidson will be the league attorney and Murphy will be assistant to the commissioner. The commissioner, we haven't heard about the commissioner yet for this league, who it might be. Well, we're going to tell you this. This is what Dennis Murphy said. I'm not conceited enough to believe I would command national respect as a league commissioner, but my experience should be valuable in assisting the man we choose. That man has not been chosen yet. Hopefully this time the commissioner and the team owners will be mortal. Woe to Murphy and Davidson if they get caught in the jaws of some more barracudas. More to come with this WHA thing as the summer goes on. Well, it's been a little while since we talked about the Detroit Red Wings and the hot, stinking mess that that team had become. But Jim Taylor, the Vancouver Sun, actually caught up with Jim Bishop, whom many believed was the root of the Red Wings' problems, 
to get kind of his idea, and he presented it with not a lot of comment, but you can read between the lines or hear between the words uh, with the story that we had of Jim Taylor talking about Jim Bishop and the Detroit Red Wings. The grapevine had it this way. Jim Bishop convinced Bruce Norris to hire a college coach named Ned Harkness to coach the Red Wings, and Harkness got booted upstairs because college boy tactics don't go well with the pros. Bishop says that's garbage. I didn't hire Harkness, and it wasn't his so-called college coaching. That's a bunch of crap, too, that got him. He was the victim of a hatchet job by a couple of guys and the Detroit news media. Jim Taylor knows Jim Bishop from the hockey or the lacrosse world, and he immediately uh, responds, same old Jim Bishop, never the easy answer when the right one will cause static. It worked in lacrosse, which is his sport, and it can flaming well work in hockey, which is in his sports. Damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead, that's Jim Bishop. Bishop was in Vancouver, not on a hockey uh, mission at all, but he was there as a color commentator for the recently completed CBC Network lacrosse coverage. And it looks, by the way, like the CBC was going to broadcast a lot more lacrosse in 1971. Uh, he was there as the, say, the color commentator for the Man Cup final, but his fancier title, his day job, so to speak, is executive director Detroit Hockey Club. For a guy of 42 who wasn't uh, even in hockey three years ago, that's not exactly starting out at the bottom. How did Bishop even end up with the Red Wings? Well, here's what happened. Bishop worked with Jim with uh, Bruce Norris on the Detroit's brief fling at professional lacrosse back in 1968. And Norris, for some reason, uh, bought whatever Bishop was selling and immediately became the number two man in the organization, actually above the coach and the general manager is responsible only to Bruce Norris. Here's how Bishop explains it. He says, well, Mr. Norris saw a lacrosse team training harder than any hockey team he'd ever seen. And he says, uh, you don't have to call it corporate structure. He just likes people who are self-starters and making these lacrosse players work harder than hockey players ever did, seemed to be something Bruce Norris was about to pay attention to. Jim Taylor knew what was really going on, and he says it quite plainly. Taylor says, I doubt it's quite that simple, and there's no doubt the bishop has the royal ear. When it was suggested that he was second in the chain of command, he pivoted and said, second to whom? Then realized the guy meant Norris, who owns the team, and he said, yeah, I'll settle for second. Bishop is a... Uh, a climber, as we like to call them back then. He wants nothing more than call up the ladder. It doesn't matter who he steps on on the way up. That's Jim Bishop. Bishop defends Ned Harkness. He says he never had a chance. The media roasted him. They decided after 11 games he couldn't coach. Really, even didn't take that long. Bishop says a man would have to be God to do that, and I really don't know what he means by that. Who then are the couple of guys who egged on the innocence in the media to roast Harkness. If Bishop knows, he gives the impression that he does, he's not going to say anything because those same guys will go after him. And everyone knows that Bruce Norris is not any genius and his head can be turned. But Bishop does maintain that the man from Ivy League, the Cornell coach whose tactics were said to have driven uh, Sid Abel to resignation, he was jobbed. 
Bishop said Mr. Norris talked to Harkness three years ago about coaching. I wasn't even here then, but I'm supposed to have got him the job. It's all part of the myth. Well, there's more to it than that. The only way you look at it, says Bishop, is to take things he's supposed to have done one by one and look at them and analyze it. Bishop says he wouldn't let Alex Delvecchio smoke cigars in the dressing room. I ask you, where in hell is there a team that would? You weren't in many National Hockey League dressing rooms, were you, Jim? You would have known the answer to that question. Bishop talks about the curfews that Harkness uh, apparently instituted. Bishop says, well, ours was about midnight on the road, and there's pretty well standard around the league, was it? Sometimes it was rightly enforced and sometimes it wasn't. As for coaching, I'll tell you this. He's a better coach than some of the guys who were still NHL coaches. Bishop said that the thing about college boy tactics with pros uh, really upset him. He didn't like that comparison. These same media people, he says, idolized Vince Lombardi when he did the same thing in Green Bay. And what about Hank Stram in Kansas City? The main difference was... They were winners, and Harkness got blistered because he wasn't winning, and they didn't give him time to test that fairly either. Of course, the other thing about Hank Stram and Vince Lombardi, they were coaching football, not hockey. Now, Bishop knows, according to Taylor, that he's very he's a very green hockey man, but he says he loves challenges. He said, I've got no hang-ups about the tragedy of last year. I'm not scared as hell. There are no mysteries to this game. In other words, it's not rocket science. You just have to be a 16-hour-a-day man. You can be a 16-hour-a-day man, but if you don't know what you're doing, you're just a guy who works long hours who's not going to be successful. But then Bishop gives us some some actually ammunition, and this is this is absolutely true. He says there's only one way to judge Ned Harkness, me, and the hockey club. The old dynasty now is in St. Louis. Abel's there. Gary Younger's there. Old dynasty. Gary Younger. <laughs> and they're a second-place team. You wait a few years and see how they go and see how the Red Wings go. If we don't succeed, they should run Harkness and I out of town. Jim Taylor ends his story by saying, take heart, Jim. If you don't win, they will run you out of town. We were going to do a, a long story on Stan Fischler's column in the Sporting News this, uh, this week, 50 years ago. And I really didn't want to get into all that. There was just too much there. But there was one tidbit that I would like to end this week's show with a little bit of comic relief. Uh, and it, this is, again, talking about the World Hockey Association. And, and what Stan proved in this column this week is that the sporting news, and I love that newspaper when it was in existence, they really didn't care about the quality of their hockey coverage as long as there were words out there that somehow referred to something about hockey. And they just didn't know what it was, and they trusted a guy like Stan Fischler. This is not to say that, that Leo Monahan, the other hockey reporter with the Sporting News, wasn't good. He was very good, and he really did check his facts well. Here's a story that Stan Fischler talked about. Stan says in this bit in his column uh, that it's a long-range long shot, but he writes this as if it's definitely going to happen. He said that when Hempstead Long Island is added to the National Hockey League as, get this, the New York Americans in 1974-75 or sooner, the Amerks 
will need a general manager coach. Do not be surprised if by then, Emil Francis jumps the New York Rangers and switches to Hempstead. Fischler says there are two very good reasons that Emil would jump to the New York Americans, which of course never did come back. The two good reasons are he'll get more money than Madison Square Garden would ever offer him. And the main reason, according to uh, Stan Fischler, he'll only be a 10-minute drive from his Long Island home rather than that long daily haul to Manhattan. Stan ends this little story by saying that the Madison Square Garden bosses might just be willing to, in that time, spring Francis loose if he hasn't yet brought New York its long-awaited Stanley Cup. Hindsight's twenty twenty in uh, 50 years later, isn't it? We do know what happened, but nobody at this time other than Stan Fischler was talking about Emil Francis going anywhere other than to work every day at Madison Square Garden. So that is this week's show, everyone. And what did we learn from this midsummer week? Well, we learned that an unproven 24-year-old hockey player can wangle a three-year, $100,000 contract from Ren Blair of the North Stars. Or maybe Ren didn't even have anything to do with this. Maybe this was the North Stars owner wanting to bring a local boy in with that all-important local boy does good in his hometown story. We learned that there was something afoot concerning the ownership of the Toronto Maple Leafs. We had the Toronto paper saying that uh, Stafford Smythe and Harold Ballard, the two scoundrels who are soon to be known as convicted criminals, were trying to buy up the stock owned by uh, John Bassett. And from Vancouver, we learned that John Bassett's trying to buy up all the stock to take control of the team. My money is on the Globe and Mail reporting on this one. And we learned a little bit about the fledgling World Hockey Association, actually about one of the two principals that's trying to get the league off the ground, Dennis Murphy. Interesting guy. There's another interesting little fact about Dennis Murphy. He was also the mayor of a small town in California before he got into the sports business. Interesting guy, and we'll hear more about Dennis as time goes on. We're working on a few things for next week's show going to be less news coming out than there was this week. Some of the stories we've got next week we're working on. John Ferguson once again is going to insist that he is retired. He's done for good playing hockey and he will fill us in on what his next career steps just might be. We're going to hear from Harold Ballard crying poor about exorbitant hockey salaries. You think it's bad now, pal, Hal? Wait till you see what happens in a year or two. And we're going to have the usual signing news that comes out during July and August as we're getting down near the end of July. Some players inking their new deals for next season. So be uh, on hand for all that news as well. And we'll have a little bit other stuff that we're cooking up too. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. Can't thank him enough for all the hard work he puts into this. 
Andy does his own podcast. He's got some stuff coming up. He's doing some comedy writing as well. And he can also produce a podcast for you if you're interested. If you're thinking of starting something up, get a hold of me and I'll put you in contact with him. He's a true media professional. Very popular Juno-nominated Toronto Indie Rock Group. The Rural Alberta Advantage provides our introduction music and our exit music. If you ever get a chance to see them uh, perform live, don't miss it. They put on a great high-energy show. They are going to be playing a show in in, uh, Alberta this summer. Other musical pieces and sound effects are all crafted by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from files from the Toronto Star, Toronto Globe and Mail, and of course the many fine publications found at newspapers.com. You can find us almost every day in the summer and every day through the hockey season on Twitter at at Hockey50Years. We're on Facebook under 50 Years Ago in Hockey. Our WordPress site is Hockey50YearsAgo.com. We're also uh, available on the Hockey Podcast every week and on your favorite podcast apps and you can support us by going to patreon.com slash hockey 50 years to subscribe thanks again to everyone who tunes in each week and on next week we will see you once again when the ice-